0: Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Local Share Green Action Podcast, where we hear from people across the U.S. that share their stories about work they are doing in their local community with a common goal of taking green action that helps care for people and wildlife and the environment in our local towns and cities. Our goal is that we might be able to learn from and inspire each other while we find our own solution-based action that lets us live meaningful, sustainable, eco-friendly lives, while cleaning, protecting, and repairing the environment and helping everyone meet the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic world that we live in now. So today on our podcast, we're speaking with someone who has worked in the Northern Nevada Green community as a connector, leader, passionate activist, and as an organic farmer. We're talking with Rebecca Stetson. Rebecca Stetson is a Nevada native whose life is led by synchronicity. She is also an organizer, a mother, and a philanthropist. She is passionate about the delicate networks that are intertwined, leading to the well-being of all ecosystems. Her curiosity has led her into advocacy at a local, regional, and national level in a variety of areas, including organic agriculture, public health, environmental protection, and wildlife habitat. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for having me, Jenny. We're so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path of green action and service in the Northern Nevada area. So what planted the seed for you to start taking green action?
1: Oh, you know, I, I was a Girl Scout growing up and I'm one of 11 children and my parents, both, it was a value of theirs that we had a garden every year and we learned about being conservationists and stewards I think not just through their actions, but also from being in Girl Scouts and my brothers in Boy Scouts and seeing that. And then also being from a big family, there's always that drive to use things most efficiently and to do a lot of hard work. And my mom has always been someone who is looking at alternative methods outside of what the social norms are. And so I got a little bit of education in animal husbandry growing up. We grew our own turkeys and We had a few animals, and then she also, for uh, medicine, was into herbal remedies and things like that, so I think that's where it really got me started, and when I got pregnant with my oldest daughter, that was really the game changer, because then it wasn't just about me or my health. It was cultivating the highest level of well-being for this child that I was carrying, and so that led into my early adult life.
0: So when you decided that you did want to do some kind of or take some kind of action, what did you decide on?
1: Yeah, so I was a corporate banker from 18 till 25. And while I was working as a banker for Wells Fargo, my last job was in Carson City. Um, If you were a senator or an assemblyman or woman and you banked with Wells Fargo, I was your banker. And so I got to see how local politics and local laws were being made and really kind of got my feet wet there. And at the same time, I had a lot of digestive issues that went back to my birth being uh, a C-section and then lots of antibiotics because I was part of that generation where it was like amoxicillin for everything. And so I really was looking for solutions. And even like buying organic food, I was still having all of these health disparities. And so I was like, okay, well, I love goats. I love animals. I now have this acre and a quarter of land. I want to start growing my own food, and that is what really began the journey. So it started with a few dairy goats and some chickens, and then when I decided that I was ready to leave banking, I was there for the rise and the fall of the market. And there was a fateful day uh, when I was I was in Las Vegas for a training because I was training to become a licensed banker to sell securities, and the class was on hedge funds, and it just all came together in my mind. You know, I was pregnant with my second daughter. My house had just burned down, and I really wasn't finding joy in my job because I was morally conflicted. But then when I learned about how well how well devised the entire housing crisis was, I was like, I am out. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. And so I decided that I started a photography business, and then we started an organic farm because I saw that there was a niche market for organic pork. There wasn't really anyone doing organic meats in our area, and so that's, and the more I learned, the more I learned about food systems and healthcare, the more down the rabbit hole I went, so while I was farming, I took a job as a community health advocate for the state of Nevada for a little coalition called Healthy, Healthy Communities Coalition out of Lyon County, and that even further informed how, essentially, disparity of income drives every negative or positive statistic throughout the entire through any throughout any first world country. And so that I mean it's just been this constantly evolving path and then my husband experienced a traumatic brain injury pretty early into our relationship. Mm. And so then I lived kind of what it was like to be part of the mental health system in Nevada by watching him go mm-hmm. through his Recovery and saw just how completely dysfunctional and inept, especially in rural areas, we were to helping people. And I used to think that, like, if people just had better nutrition, that that would change so many of these outcomes. They'd have, you know, a better ability to choose different behaviors and things like that. But the further I got into it, the more I realized wow, it's an entire ecosystem and it's not just one thing. And certainly, if you're in poverty, you are usually generationally poverty-stricken, and that is a huge hurdle to overcome, especially as our poverty class continues to get wider and wider and wider.
0: How did you interact with that community um, organization? How did you interact with the community? What did the programs look like? What did you do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So as a community health advocate, I was employed to, essentially as a health advocate, our job was to take an individual or a family and use an empowerment model to help them realize, or well, to help guide them through a process of what their goals were for their medical health, for their um, spiritual health, for their mental health, or I'm sorry, not medical, but their physical health, and then to help them create goals Uh, using that empowerment model to achieve them. And so that was part of it. And I didn't take on as many clients as some other health advocates. We were the first health advocates trained in the state of Nevada. I took on more of a role of um, training new health advocates and then creating programs with which health advocates could get their clients set up with. And so in Lyon County, uh, part of that was revamping the entire school garden program. And I really saw this benefit in teaching youth and really I love neuroscience, and so I knew that the neural pathways of adults are—they're not fixed, but they're also not as malleable. And so I was like, "Great, we can teach kids, and they'll be the stewards to their family." And so that was really neat. And then we actually took on ten different youth interns and taught them how to lead younger kids through those school gardens, mm-hmm. as opposed to like having teachers take on one more responsibility. And then the other program that we started was, we had a monthly invitation to a cooking class. And so what we would do is we would, at the commodities distribution monthly, we would take the protein item that was the highlight of that commodities distribution ahead of time, and we would prepare samples. And so on one side, as we're handing out samples in the line, they would get a flyer. And on one side was the recipe. And on the other side was an invitation to a cooking class the following Monday. And the distribution happened on Saturday. And so then uh, once a month on Monday, me and this woman, Kim Mason, who is, at the time was the head dietitian at Carson Tahoe, we would get together. That recipe would be balanced for anyone with diabetes or high blood pressure or anything like that. And so we'd then cook that protein item. Matched with local organic produce and would have these beautiful conversations while we engaged that community with cooking the meal. And then we would share the meal together. And it was a really, really neat experience. And one of the other items, I mean, there were so many things that we did within that job. And one of them that always kind of sticks out is they had asked me at one point to do an audit of our food pantries to find out, you know, what what was the food that we were distributing. And I was, I guess I probably cultivated how to catch more more people with honey than vinegar. But at the time, I was just pretty firm and and told them, you know, I don't have to do an audit of the food pantry. What we're handing out is largely poison canned prepared foods, highly sugary, you know, breads, pastries that are day olds or week olds and, and really held firm to my ideas that we can, we can continue doing this process, or we can spend our time teaching people more about how to grow their own food and prepare their own food, which is a whole other cultural gap, because most of us have lost our links to our agrarian <laughs> beginnings. And so we got some community gardens started in Silver Springs and in Dayton. Well, in Silver Springs and Dayton there already was a community garden that we just kind of helped to improve upon. And so those were some of the things that we did.
0: Nice. Some of the people participating in the programs, did they have any access to small yards themselves or mostly it, it was through the community garden?
1: They did. Most people uh, in Lyon County have access to land. And the tricky part is, is that if you don't have any knowledge, it feels like an overwhelming undertaking. So mostly people wanted to engage in that community garden because then they had the ability to learn and the stakes weren't so high. You know, it wasn't like, oh gosh, I'm taking on this whole thing. I have no idea about, um, and will I be successful and I mean a lot of people are no different from you or I where it's if something is so overwhelming then you can never even get started you talk yourself out of it so the community gardens were were the primary engagement however from the time that I started farming I always allowed myself to be a a free resource to anyone in the community so still I don't have dairy goats anymore but you know people still call me all the time and ask me questions about animal husbandry around goats or pigs or chickens and I have had so many people in the last month and a half call me about like, Hey, how do I get a garden started? Who should I be getting soil from? What do I need to know? Where should I get seeds from? And I, and I definitely get those call year and year in and year out, but it's been highly amplified uh, in the last two months.
0: Wow. That's awesome. So how did um, are the people that are contacting you are people that you met through some of these programs?
1: Not necessarily. I mean, this is anyone from people who I've known since childhood to folks who have seen on Facebook that I have the nonprofit Farmily okay. and just reach out like saying, hey, it looks like you do a lot of this within the community. Are you willing to give me some of your time and, and let me know? And, you know, I my bread and butter work is doing agricultural, environmental and sustainability consulting, which can look like a lot of different things. But and I'm always open to, you know, I'm open to giving free advice advice and like I just had someone say hey I I would like advice on my yard I want to do permaculture and it's a friend so he also knew I was looking for a new bike and he's like I have this great bike for you you know are you willing to trade and so I love uh, the opportunity to trade too so it comes from a lot of different areas
0: excellent so tell me a little bit about your business so do you recommend a certain type of gardening you mentioned permaculture do you integrate some other methods i know permaculture has you know some wonderful things there are also some great things with biodynamic and different things so do you kind of bring that cornucopia together or are you
1: that's a great question so In my consulting work, uh, it's Labor of Love Consulting. I don't do as much necessarily gardening or farming consulting. It's a lot more in sustainability and environmental advocacy. But through the nonprofit that I started, Farmily, we have six gardens around town. Four of them are at Boys and Girls Club sites where we teach when kids are able to go to the boys and girls club we teach twice a week out of those gardens and so we use both permaculture and biodynamic principles to the best of my or my team's knowledge so i claim no expertise in permaculture or biodynamics and it seems even though i've been farming gardening for i'm 30 now so about 12 years i'm still learning stuff all the time and so i take other people's advice i kind of have an idea for what works in our area there's certainly no wisdom that i i exclude but it's also based, i'm the limiting me or whoever i'm working with or the limiting factor of how much knowledge we know and obviously we're all learning all the time about different ways to do things but i do love permaculture and i do love biodynamics and i think there's so much value uh, our program formally is teaching kids with a basis of social-emotional skills. And so part of that is teaching them mindfulness in the garden and breath work, as well as teaching them how to plant, what time to plant, what can grow during the winter? You know, we learn about geology, we learn about Paiute Shoshone, different local Native American cultures and their wisdom and how they planted things. And so it's really a cornucopia of knowledge. And one of the most important things that we teach the kids is how to get in touch with themselves. And so we really uh, like to look at what the cycles are of not just the seasons. But then, you know, how does the moon control all of the oceans? And how does that control, you know, everything in our in our world? And we don't get too deep with it, but we definitely give them a sense of, you know, there's a time and a season for everything, and that's always changing. And that there is an appropriate, like, you know, we're not going to grow potatoes in the winter, but we are going to grow carrots and beets. And so it. There's a lot of overlap to a lot of different things in their life, And I think especially with our kids who are coming to be of middle school age that it gives them a sense of like, "Oh, okay, there is a greater force that's kind of controlling what we go through. and I'm not always going to feel the same exact way uh, because there's so many variables of like what I'm experiencing at home and what my body' is experiencing and it's changing and what is changing outside with the weather and how much sun I get. So
0: oh, that's excellent. Uh, is formally, is that a nonprofit?
1: It is. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, yep.
0: Do you operate with grants to kind of help these programs go along, or...?
1: That's a great question. So we have been really fortunate. formerly came to be about three years ago. The Boys and Girls Club had reached out to me through a mutual person that we, that we both knew um, and asked me to write a proposal for a garden education program. And I had been the farm manager at Urban Roots and was really interested in creating a garden program that would specifically be serving a variety of kids, especially those who are socioeconomically impoverished. And so I wrote that proposal, the Boys and Girls Club accepted it, I put it, you know, one of my big things was that I wanted to be based in social emotional learning, they were definitely, you know, it, it had started to become something that was really important in education. And so the Boys and Girls Club is our largest contract. And they provide, through that contract, we provide services for their sites. And then our other two sites, Mount Rose Elementary, I managed that garden and was teaching out of it twice a week when kids were there. And Farmly, we just do that as a service to that school uh, at no at no cost. And then in that school, they did have a little bit of money left from a garden grant that a, a wonderful woman named Amber um, had written in the past when she had managed the garden. So we've been able to buy a little bit of soil and things like that. And then Flint Street Farms is our other site. And Flint Street Farms is different in the sense that like we take on volunteers and we teach teach them out of the garden, but they're adults, and that garden is specifically grown for providing produce to local nonprofits like the Community Health Alliance, Reno Initiative for Shelter and Equality, and Veterans Guest House to provide people who cannot afford fresh organic produce those things for free. And so that is funded by Rubik, which is an environmental remediation firm who owns the land. And Todd Leonard and his wife, Debbie, they were the ones who five years ago, they had this piece of land right on Flint Street where their office building is. And they're like, you know what, let's start a garden. Let's grow food for the community. And so they have committed to financially supporting that since then just as a benefit to the community. So they're one of our contracts also. And so and then I I've done a little bit of fundraising here and there. And it's not that I don't believe in grants. The Boys and Girls Club writes grants to fund our program, but we've been really fortunate that our funding has come a lot from individuals. I'll have little campaigns where I'll ask friends and family members to support formally so that we can have money for administrative costs and things like that. That's been Successful, and we're looking at uh, larger fundraisers to support it in different ways. And we're really hoping to expand. And so, um, there's a really big project called Katie's Garden that is an expansion of one of our existing Boys and Girls Club gardens. It's the Boys and Girls Club on Foster Drive, and we don't have a garden there, but the Bridge Church, which is right next door, has allowed us to partner with Encompass Academy, who had already started a garden there, and we're we've expanded that garden a little bit but Katie's garden would be an expansion that would make that garden about a quarter of an acre and it would make it so that we are growing production style for the food pantry at the Bridge Church. And the interested parties so far that want to use the garden are the Solace Tree for their grief counseling and Big Brothers, Big Sisters for their bigs and littles to have an opportunity to learn how to garden. Um, The Bridge Church is obviously a partner, the Boys and Girls Club, and then Farmily. So it should be really neat to see. Right now, uh, Jana Vanderhaar, who's an incredible landscape promoter, a culture landscape architect she's drawing up conceptual plans and then we'll be able to take those plans uh, raise the monies for that garden expansion
0: yeah it sounds like a lot of the times you are interfacing with all different people from different groups and different businesses and so have there been times when you have faced some challenges when you're dealing with people have you found anything that's been helpful and to keep in mind when you're communicating with others?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a good question also. So I'm finding that one of the most, one of the biggest opportunities that I have in growing is really knowing how to manage projects and because I have so many different projects going at any given time, one thing I've really learned in my own personal business is to really court the people that you're going to hire on your team and spend a good amount of time getting to know them so that it's a fruitful and beautiful working relationship. And I fortunately have a variety of those that I'm really thankful for. but through my I was in management and banking and I definitely got to learn that lesson early on that like you really have to get to know the person that you're wanting to hire before you hire them and create a relationship no different than a friendship or a romantic relationship. Because I do have so many partners within the community, the thing that I think has made it so successful is that I don't hold an attitude well, what I do hold is an attitude of abundance, where I know that there's plenty for everyone, that it's non-competitive, that there's always enough. Like the garden has showed me over and over and over again, that abundance is the way of the universe. And so I love to express gratitude. I feel like uh, sending out thank you notes and uh, really letting the people know who support you that you're grateful exponentiates itself. I think that's the the greatest part of our program is that it's something that it just keeps giving and the more that we give out into the community the more that we share from our bounty the more it comes back
0: excellent that's excellent teeing into that question a little bit like i'd be interested to know some of the gardens that you have growing around are they um have you found they've been pretty productive have you been able to give that food to some of the students that are participating as well as some of the groups that you're you're distributing to
1: yeah that's Uh, There's a story that comes to mind, or I guess a firsthand narrative, and I'll answer both parts. So we planted strawberries in two of our raised beds at our garden site at the Boys and Girls Club on Breston Avenue um, last year. And some people were like, oh, we need to make sure that the other kids aren't coming into the garden while we're not there and, you know, picking all the strawberries or whatnot. I've always maintained this attitude that people want to be reverent of nature and if we set that model that that's what they'll do and so the kids at garden club would be like oh so and so is picking strawberries in the garden I was like everyone's welcome to all of the strawberries you know what I expect is for you guys to be kind and courteous you don't take more than a couple so that everyone gets some and know that there's always going to be enough and I've never seen strawberries be so prolific it seemed like there were always always strawberries to be picked and the kids and there's hundreds I think there's 200 plus kids at that, at that site. And they're the most delightful alpine strawberries, you know, and so they're like the finest of the fine. And so that, for me, it really showed me that my scientific notion of production and how much a plant can produce, that may be something, but more importantly, there is definitive relationship with those plants. And the more love that they get, and the more attention they get, the more they want to produce. And so it really, there is this romancing of the plants and this energetic, chain, energetic exchange. That we have that it it blew my mind. And then the food, yes. So we always send the kids home with whatever harvests that we have available. And those kids who are participating in garden club on that day that we harvest, they get to take home some to their family. And then everything that's in abundance, we set out in a in a beautiful basket in the front of the boys and girls club for when the kids are getting picked up, and then the families are able to take as much as they want. And with this time of not having kids, we've turned all of those gardens into production gardens, because we have that time that we used to educate with to just focus on the garden. And so we're really excited for in the fall to be have to be able to have a really bountiful farmers market with the kids and to not not that the families will have to pay for that produce, but it'll be kind of like a donation base. So the kids will get that cash handling experience, they will get to get that feeling of like, what it's like to be honest with a cash box and to have that integrity. Um, And then also, you know, how do you make change? How do you quantify if somebody's buying two of something so i'm really excited for that uh new addition that we'll get to put to it
0: wow yeah that's awesome i enjoy it i really do are you also trying to integrate education into like wildlife habitat protection so like helping to care for the local pollinator and integrating that into the garden in some sense
1: yeah, definitely. So we use always organic practices. So, you know, we fertilize with kelp meal and fish emulsion, oyster shell. We have our own compost piles. We have our own worm bins. And then we have pollinator gardens and we are planting in a in a fashion like we always have marigolds to, you know, help with trying to avoid other pests. And we teach the kids, you know, yeah, the kale looks like it'll keep producing exponentially, but plants get old and then they become susceptible to disease. So we have the opportunity to harvest this plant and then we start new ones so that they're young and they're fresh. So, but it's, I mean, we love to teach about bees and worms and pollinators and the kids are always surprised to hear that, you know, like wasp or these things that they don't traditionally think are pollinators are. And it's one of our sensory activities where we take the kids through the garden. There's no talking, it's all just witnessing. And then they come back and they draw about the different pollinators that they saw. And we, there's another cool exercise size where they get to imagine that they're, that they're the size of ants and they draw like what the landscape is like for the ants is it like a jungle or what is it so we teach a lot of that and we certainly talk about what the benefits of using these practices are and why we need pollinators and why is it important and so mm-hmm. I think that I learned while I was in Lyon County that there was a beautiful line in giving kids a good amount of knowledge but also not making them feel shameful or um, guilty about any of their practices at home and with having such a passion for organic gardening I remember there was a day that I was teaching a third grade class in Lyon County and one of the kids asked me well what's the difference between genetically modified and organic and yeah and to make a long story short because we had talked about it in the in the garden and his whole class hadn't been coming to the garden. And so he had heard the information, but his classmates had not. I realized while I was talking about it, uh, about conventional and pesticides and GMOs, that I was creating a fear that those kids had no ability to change. And it really shaped a lot of the way that I, I teach from that point on and really honoring like, there's a lot of ways to do things. This is, this is my preference and these are my reasons why. But food and sharing food is a beautiful experience in and of itself. And to really, to try to not ever make any child feel shameful or guilty about the choices that their family makes. But yeah, certainly pollinators are a huge, huge part of it. And we, we're not able to have bees, like we're not able to keep bees at, because of risk at our Boys and Girls Club sites. But at Flint Street Farms, we do keep bees. And through social media, I really try to amplify the message of why those bees are so important, why they're so special, and what kind of beneficial insects, why they're important to our areas.
0: So would you say that there are a lot of opportunities for community members to volunteer with your organizations?
1: Yeah, we've had a a spike in... Asked for volunteerism in the last two months, too, which I'm so thankful that people are taking this time and looking to see what they can do to better the community around them. But we are always open to volunteers. Our website is ourfarmily.org, O U R F A R M I L org, And there's a volunteer page on there where you can fill out a little brief questionnaire about what your skills are, just so we know kind of what capacity you know, what your prior experiences. And then yes, we utilize any and all volunteers to the best of our ability. And we don't always have, you know, projects that like a lot of business businesses want, like, okay, I want to send 20 employees for eight hours for a one time deal. And right now, we don't necessarily have those type of opportunities. But we have volunteers who come on a weekly basis. And I think there's a lot of ownership that comes with that, uh, getting to see something week over week that you've put time and energy into.
0: So if your ideas and your experience and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action that you could give to others and other places. What advice would you give to someone who is considering trying to start something like you've done?
1: Oh, I would say to Trust your intuition. When you feel called to give to your community, whatever your gifts are, to not allow your rational mind to talk you out of it or your insecurities of, oh, well, maybe I am i don't have enough time. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I haven't had enough experience. Just start wherever you are. The act of taking care with anything, including yourself, is a beautiful beginning that you're giving a gift to your whole community. And so I think that was something that I really had to overcome is like, who am I to start this nonprofit? Or who am I to tell other people? And what I realized is that our sharing of wisdom is community, and that that is a gift in and of itself. And so I would say just trust your intuition, start wherever you're at, start small, but a gift to yourself and others is a gift indeed
0: so as we wrap up what resource would you like to recommend maybe a book or website or a film that's been particularly helpful or informative
1: there is a book that i am just beginning to read but that's really really beautiful and it's called braiding sweetgrass um, and it really talks about getting reconnected to nature and then i would also say michael pollan it has a variety of books, Botany of Desire, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and watching any of his TED Talks are invaluable because it really it takes the mass that is food systems and breaks it down into really beautiful digestible
0: parts. Did you specifically want to share any upcoming project that you want others to know about aside from what you've shared?
1: Uh, Trekkie Meadows Earth Day is the other one that I would love people to know about. Um, it's an event that last year was our first year uh, it's a it was a big Earth Day celebration at Mayberry Park in Reno and was a collaboration between a variety of individuals and organizations and it was one of the most beautiful large events I've ever had the privilege of bringing people together to execute and it really felt like I like we created a family that achieved something really beautiful. And this year it's been postponed. And so September 20th is our new date to hold the celebration. It'll be very much a harvest celebration uh, honoring solstice, or I'm sorry, equinox. And I, I think that between now and September, we're running some online campaigns. And so I would encourage people just to find one activity that they feel like helps create a better planet. You know, we're seeing a huge reduction in air pollution, a huge reduction in water pollution just by being still and not consuming in the same ways. And so uh, Truckee Meadows Earth Day is one that I would really love to promote. And the idea that we're voting with our dollars and so promote a lot of local buying, um, a lot of recycling, reusing, reducing. And it's an event that I, I know everyone will have a, a really beautiful time at again this year.
0: And just as we wrap up, um, give us the contact information, um, how best to contact you again.
1: Uh, the best way to contact me is, I would say, my cell phone. I love just getting phone calls from people. It is an effective way to, to get in touch with me. So my cell is 775-342-7675, and I'm happy to get texts or phone calls. I'm I'm pretty extroverted, but I recognize not everyone is like that. And if you prefer sending an email, my email is organic pharma. So O-R-G-A-N-I-C-F-A-R-M-I-L-Y at gmail.com.
0: Thanks for joining us for Local Share Green Action. Until next time, let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people.